All right, so we're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and um, I think we are ready for verse 17. Do you remember, Chris? Are we ready for 17, or are we still at um, 13? Just touched on it so we can start in 13 tonight? Okay. So we'll start in 13 tonight. And um, before um, we get too deep into it, I'd like to just go ahead and jog your memory a little bit. And This chapter is all about faith. It is uh, the, the entire book of Hebrews is a, is a book that's been written to an a audience that is so used to their religious system being based on works. So there's... They are Jews and they practice Judaism. And in Judaism, they, they believe that as long as they do this and do this and do this and they follow this law and follow that law, then that's how they stay right with God. But the gospel says we're coming out of that and by faith alone that the just have always lived by faith. And the point of Hebrews 11 is to take the the reader back so that he can see example after example that the only thing that has ever pleased God, the only thing that is ever acceptable before God is faith and faith alone. No works added to it, nothing that you do. It is simply the faith that we have in the promise of God. So with that being said, Somebody tell me one of the definitions, there's four of them. Somebody tell me one of the definitions of faith in Hebrews 11. What's the first definition? All right, so the substance of things hoped for. Somebody give me another description, the same thing, but what's what's another way to put it other than substance of things hoped for? Okay. There you go. Full assurance of things hoped for. And substance, again, uh, substance being the main ingredient, uh, but the full assurance of hope. So faith is being absolutely sure of the hope that is given to us, right? And so when God says something and He promises something to us, we faith says, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what God says He will do, right? All right. And as Bobby just gave the second definition of, of faith just a minute ago, it is also the conviction or the evidence of things not yet seen. So not only is it a full assurance of hope, but it is also a conviction that the things not yet seen will absolutely come to pass. Why? Because I am fully assured in the one who promised it. So I have full assurance of hope in one definition, and then tied at the hip to it, I have a conviction of things not yet seen. I just know it. And it is based on evidence of who God is. All right? And somebody give me another definition of faith. What's the third definition of faith? It comes from verse um, 6 of Hebrews 11. Uh, 
All right. So then that, that is true. But what is the definition that you think I'm looking for? What is it in there that defines faith? We must believe that He what? That He is. That He exists. In other words, faith, the reason why we are fully assured in hope and the reason why we have a conviction of things not yet seen is based on two things. Number one, I believe that He exists. <laughs> that He is who He says He is. All right? And what's the second definition in that same verse right after that? So here is all faith wrapped up in one little pretty package. I believe that God exists. I believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And based on that, I am fully assured in the hope that He gives me in His promises. And I have a conviction of things not yet seen. Because faith don't have it in your hands yet, right? Faith says God has told me He's going to do something and because I believe He exists and because I believe He's a rewarder and I am fully assured of the hope that He gives me, I have an absolute conviction that the things not yet seen, they're gonna, it's going to come to pass. All right, is everybody following along with me? So you got a general understanding of faith now. I know who He is. I believe it. I know what He does. He's a rewarder. I know what He's promised, and I have full assurance of hope. And because of who He is, because He's a rewarder, and because of His promise, I have an absolute conviction that even though I don't see the things yet, it's going to be. It's going to come to pass. And you see this played out in everyone's life. And then the, he starts out, after he defines it, and he gives you a, a, an example after example after example. He says, by faith, this is what it looked like in Cain's life or in Abel's life. By faith, Abel gave a more acceptable sacrifice. He heard the Word of God. He believed the Word of God. He brought what God asked because he was fully assured that what God said he was going to do, he was going to do. And so Abel did exactly like God said because he knew that the forgiveness for his sins was going to come by trusting in God to do what he said he's going to do. He was fully assured of the hope of forgiveness. He, he had a conviction of things not yet seen. That's what led him to do what he did. He believed that God exists and he knew that God was a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And then you could go on and on and on. But by the time we get down to Abraham and Sarah, he moves into faith is not just always about salvation. Now yes, we are saved by faith and faith alone, right? But does faith stop at salvation? No, we have to continue to walk by faith every day, right? Sarah was saved, but here it says by faith, she received power to bear a child. And so it, faith is not just about the promise of salvation, but how many of you know that God has many promises other than just salvation? And so what we have to understand is faith is fully assured of the hope in salvation and in everything else. 
And so what we see here in the next few examples is that they walked by faith daily in their life. Abraham was saved by faith and then he went out not knowing where he was going and dwelt in tents day after day after day because he kept believing day after day after day. Faith was something that he walked by, that he lived in. And that's the same way with us. We don't just come up here to the altar and pray a prayer and then we're saved and that's the end of faith. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith is what you live by. You walk by faith and not by sight. So with all that context, by the time we get to verse 13, we're going to learn some more things about faith. Alright, so I want you to try to pick out for me as we go through these want you to try to tell me, you remember when I was teaching you how to study, I told you the first step is, is observation, right? And observation always starts with building your context so that you understand the book, who wrote the book, who it's written to. You understand the purpose of the book and why it's written. And the more context you can build, the better you can draw out of those scriptures what God means for you to draw out. Well, here in our first step of observation, after the context is built, the next question you answer is very simple. What do I see? Just general observations, drawing out of this text based on the context. And since we know this book is about the examples of faith and what it looks like to walk by faith, since we know that, now let's draw out of these scriptures what faith looks like, and uh, some general observations about faith. So look at verse 13. He said, These all died in faith. But then notice what it says next. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So let's just stop and look at just a little bit of context for this. Um, who all died in faith according to this? Who's he talking about? All of them. Give me some names though. Tell me who. Okay, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. They all died in faith. So let's just take Abraham for, um, for a moment. All right. What was God's promise to Abraham? What did God promise Abraham? Okay, so he promised him a city or a land. Let's be more specific. Um, he actually, when you go back to Genesis 12, he says, come out of your land and go to a land that I will show you, right? All right, so he promised him a promised land. All right, what is another promise that God gave Abraham? All right, so you're going to be the father of Many nations. In other words, your seed is not going to be able to be counted. If you can count the sands of the seashore, then you can count how many seeds you... If you can count the stars of the heavens, then you'll know how many you'll have. Alright? And so, what else? What else did God promise Abraham? A son. And that comes with the seed. That all right? What else? Right. Right. You remember he said, "I will bless those who 
and curse those who curse you. So you, there were three main things to, to Abraham's promise, to God's promise to Abraham. First off, you're going to have a promised land. Second off, you're going to be the father of many nations. Third off, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And through you, all the nations of the world shall be what? Blessed. And so there we see the, the, the main ingredients of his promise. Now here, let's see verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. How much of God's promise did Abraham receive? So the promise was the father of what? Many nations. But how much of the promise did Abraham get to see in this life? One seed, right? One seed. Now, of course, he had Ishmael, but that wasn't the seed that he was talking about. So as far as the promise is concerned, he got to see one seed. All right? And then um, how much of the promised land did he get to see? Well, he saw it from afar and he did get to dwell in it, but it was occupied by other people. And he dwelt there in what? In tents. So he was a nomad in it. He never got to settle in it and make it his. Alright? And so Abraham got to see just a very little bit of the promise of God. Abraham got to see just a very little bit of the, uh, the promised land and the promised seed. And then as far as through him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. How much of that did he get to see? And so these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. And the same thing with Sarah, all right? But having seen them from afar and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. All right, so... Somebody tell me if you can pick something out of there that, that describes faith for you or says something about faith. Okay, so faith is looking afar, right? And you could put that down there. If you're taking notes and you're studying, I would write down there, faith is about forward looking. So faith is, is never about present looking. It's about, I know God is going to do it in the future, but once I actually have it in the present, is it faith anymore? No, it's not faith anymore. Uh, Romans chapter 8, Paul says, uh, why does someone still hope for what he sees? <laughs> in other words, you don't have to have full assurance of hope anymore if you have it in your possession because faith is now sight. You see it. You, it's fulfilled. And so faith is forward-looking. Faith is trusting that it is coming. Now, Abraham died, but he didn't die saying, it didn't come, it didn't come, it didn't come. On the other, on the other hand, Abraham did die saying, hey, hey son, Isaac, it's coming. And Isaac died saying, hey, Jacob, it's coming. And Jacob died saying, hey, Joseph and Reuben and Simeon and all the tribes of Israel, it's coming. 
And every one of them after that died saying it's coming. And so we're going to look at what that, what that says about faith in a moment too. Somebody else gives. So faith is looking forward. Somebody else um, give, me another, give me another thing you see about faith in this verse. Verse 13. You see anything else? Okay, so um, again, there you see the full assurance being persuaded of them. That's right. What about this? Death doesn't stop faith. These all died in faith. Death did not stop faith. Sickness does not stop faith. The trials of this world cannot stop genuine faith. If you are fully assured in the hope, we know that, that when I have full assurance that even if death comes before the promise gets here, guess what? Death does not stop the promise of God, right? Abraham didn't come to the end of his life and go, well, I guess God can't do it. <laughs> he didn't. He came to the end of his life and said, death don't stop the promise of God. Nothing stops the promise of God. The promise of God, will faith says, I don't care what else pops up in this life. Nothing stops the promise of God. How important is that for the application in your life? How many times do we allow the trials and the circumstances of this life to bring us hopeless, to make us hopeless? And so it's very important that we understand that genuine faith says nothing stops the promise of God. Nothing. God's Word will be fulfilled. So these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. So again, faith is looking forward. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. How did they acknowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth? What else does faith do? There you go. And how did they acknowledge that? What did they do that said they acknowledged it? What did they do? How did they live? We already said it once tonight. Yeah, but there you go. That's what I'm looking for right there. They, they, they lived in this world in such a way that they knew that, listen, um, now I'm not saying that Abraham didn't have servants, that he didn't have livestock, that he didn't... Ha I mean, we know that Abraham still lived in this world, but his focus was always on, I'm going to the place that God has prepared for me. And so he acknowledged that he was a stranger and an exile on this earth. And, and, and I'll just be honest with you, we could learn a lot from this right here, that faith says, faith in the promise of God for that future city, for that place that God has prepared for them, lives in such a way that we truly acknowledge that I am a stranger here, that, that I am an exile. What does it mean to be an exile? Yeah, I don't belong here. Any of you 
Do, do any of you just feel right at home in this world? Be careful. It's, it's a trick question. That's right. That's right. We are to live in such a way that we know and acknowledge that we're exiles here. We don't belong here. I don't belong here. It, it should not be strange to us that we turn on the TV and the world is going this way and we're going this way. That should not be strange. And it's disappointing. It is. And I, I mean, we fight and we fight and we're trying to make the United States the city of God. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up for the things of God. But you have to understand something. The world is not the kingdom of God. The United States of America is not our heavenly home. It is not going to be a, a nation under God. I'm sorry. Maybe for a time we can have enough Christians in it at the same time to make it look that way, but the world is still the world. That's right. My treasure is laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And so that's, that's exactly right. I think that faith, what I could say here is, faith lives in such a way that I know that I'm an exile here, and you know that I'm an exile here, and the world knows that I'm an exile here. And if the world can look at you and say, you're one of us, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. We have to be able to live in such a way. And if you're in genuine faith, you will. You'll live in such a way that everybody around you will know they don't belong here. <laughs> They're exiles. They're strangers. Well, go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Since you mentioned that, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 34. Look at what he said about them. Because he wanted them to understand that he has seen faith in their lives. Notice what he said about them in Hebrews 10 verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They knew that this world is not my home. They knew that if the government comes in and takes everything I own, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You know, I've, I've always been this pastor, and, I, and I'm going to make Tim shudder here for a minute, but um, I've always been this pastor that... Um, I don't care about our tax-exempt status. I don't. If I want to stand up here and preach something that is the Word of God, and the government wants to come in and say, okay, we're taking your tax-exempt status, guess what? I'll pay the taxes. I'll go out here to the pond, let Jesus catch me a fish, and get it out of His mouth. We'll, we'll figure it out. I'll pay you taxes. I got no problem with that. That's exactly right. And so I am not worried about what the devil wants to plunder of the goods of this world because 
I know that I have a better possession. I know that I have an abiding one. And, and so faith understands that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. All right, verse 14. For people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. What's the next thing that you see about faith in this? Okay. That's right. So they're seeking a better place. They're looking for it. All right. What else do you see there? For people who what? Speak this way or speak thus. Make it clear. I think that faith is clear. Faith is lived in such a way that it's spoken very clearly. Very clearly. That we believe what we believe and that we are looking for the home that God has promised us. And we know it's coming. Verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. At any moment, Abraham could have quit living in a tent. You know, I love archaeology. If you get a chance, go home and do a little Googling and look up um, Ur of the Chaldeans. Um, several years ago, they actually uncovered the place that they believe is Ur. Um, and there is a... There are huge buildings in this place. They believe there was actually a university in this place, if you will, an education center in, in Ur, back in, back in the day. Um, and there was, they have uncovered so many places in this place that they believe is Ur of the Chaldeans. And so I love to see when archaeology tells us a little bit more about the story because Abraham left this... Abraham left um, Washington, D.C., if you will, or New York City to live in a tent in a land that was occupied by other people. But God said, I promise it's going to be yours. That'd be a tremendous improvement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But, but he didn't look back and neither did, apparently neither did Sarah, apparently neither did Noah, um, none of these people looked back. They, they, ha they were not thinking of the land from which they had gone out. So they, faith again, is focused on seeking the land that God has promised. And that, that's something that we need to evaluate in our life and see. Is our, do we live in such a way that we really are? Remember um, Jesus, He said, don't lay up treasures here in this world where moth and rust and thieves break in and steal. Um, but instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of that happens and it never fades away. And so we're told to live in such a way that we are seeking the home that God has promised us. And yet, many of us live in faith, if you will, and we, the only thing we really do any different is whereas we get up on Sunday and go to church. That verse right there is sort of like your salvation. Ain't that what that? Oh, as far as not looking back? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he could have went back. Right. Right. Well, it proves faith is not genuine is what it does. Right. If you look back, 
then you are not fully assured of the hope, then you are not believing that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You don't have a conviction of things not yet seen because you're looking back. Anybody want to give me an Old Testament example of somebody who looked back? That's right. Lot's wife. And so there was a prime example. What happened to her when she looked back? She was destroyed, turned into a pillar of salt, just like God said would happen. And the point being is that if there is genuine faith, you're not looking back to what's being destroyed. You're seeking the land that He has promised you that He's bringing you into. And everybody went forward in Lot's family except one. She turned around and she looked back because she didn't have faith. She didn't have full assurance of hope. She didn't believe God was a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And instead, she felt like she was losing something. And don't get me wrong, Sodom, it sounds a lot like the United States today. Probably had a lot to offer. Probably had a lot to offer. Probably seemed like a, 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 um, a fun place to live. Yet, we have to understand that faith says no matter how good you think you've got it here... What He's promised, far better. Far better. So, in verse 14, or in verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I like that. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. One of the things I picked out there is that, again, as we read earlier, faith pleases God. If you want to please God and you want God to not be ashamed of you, there ain't but one thing that does it. That's faith. It ain't about whether or not you, you do everything good. It ain't about whether you quit smoking or you quit drinking or you quit... You know, we think, well, if I do this and I do this and I do this, then God will be pleased with me. Or we go to bed at night and we think to ourselves, man, God must be ashamed of me today because we lived in such a way. You, you're missing it. It ain't about how good you are and it ain't about how bad you are. It's about faith and faith alone. And faith believes God, trusts God, fully assured of God, and a conviction of things not yet seen that, that it's going to come. It's coming. And so God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has, and I like this, for He has prepared for them a city. What do you see there? What tense do you see there when I say He has? It's done. And that's what I wrote under it. I circled He has and I wrote done. It's done. And so we have to understand something. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He has promised us a heavenly city and He has already prepared it. It's done. And we're looking forward to it because it's already there. All right, verse 17, we're going to step up just a little bit. I want Again, I want you to find me something about faith. Just tell me something you learn about faith as we read. By faith, Abraham, 
when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Somebody tell me something you learn about faith in that verse. Faith is tested. Okay, so faith helps us overcome our tests. And, and let me put it like this, because you're exactly right. Genuine faith will overcome the test. And faith that's not genuine won't overcome the test. Alright, so you're exactly right. Somebody give me an example of faith being tested in the Bible. Job. Job. Probably the number one example in all about many examples, but Job is probably the best. Um, remember, God, uh, Satan came before God and said, "Hey, I've been going back and forth in the earth, just looking for for somebody to test." God said, "You considered my servant Job." God said, "Have you considered my?" God brought Job up. All right, and then Satan said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I've been watching Job." I can't get to him though. Why? You protect him. Can't get to him. You protect him. He said, but I tell you what, you lift that hedge of protection and you let me take his possessions from him. I mean, look at the way you've blessed him, God. Who wouldn't love you? Who wouldn't trust you the way that you've blessed him? Let me take his kids away from him. Boy, it hurts, don't it? Let me take his kids away from him. Let me take his, his sheep away from him. Let me take all his livestock away from him. And then he'll curse you. He won't keep trusting you. And you remember what happened? So one servant came. Oh, we were out here at the... Uh, uh, they were partying at your, one of your son's house and a wind came blew through and blew it down and they all dead. Every one of them. And then another servant come. The Amorites came down the hill and they slaughtered all the sheep and they slaughtered all your servants. And then it was just once, bang, 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 one right after the other. But what did Job do? What did he say? That's exactly right. Shall we receive good from the hand of God and not evil? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. I didn't have nothing when I came in this world. <laughs> now, faith is tested. And genuine faith comes out of it saying, full of tears now, no doubt. Full of tears. But genuine faith comes out of it saying, blessed be the name. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. He's still faithful. He's still good. Faith is tested. And even, even in... Um, I, I love it. Even whenever the um, Satan comes back and he says, Well, you know what? Skin for skin, a man will give anything. <laughs> he said, you, you know, listen, yeah, he, he, he's okay with you taking his possessions. But now, when a man's health is failing, he'll, he'll, he, can't, he can't hold up. God said, okay, you can touch his body. You can do anything you want, but you can't kill him. You can't take his life. And I'm going to tell you something. 
He did it too. Satan gave him the worst, the, I mean, he worked his health over uh, to bulls all over his skin. Job goes on to say later on that he couldn't even find any comfort at all in his own bed. I mean, he couldn't. He, he just sit there with um, um, clay, pot, yeah, pots are sheared or however you say it, digging at, the, digging at the bulls and stuff on his. I mean, he, he had a terrible, terrible sickness. And then he gets to the end of it and um, his wife said, his wife had done seen so much of it, she, she couldn't stand it. She said, Job, why don't you just what? Just curse God and die. What? That's right. That's right. No, everything was stacked against him. That's right. He didn't have a church body behind him saying, man, stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. You got to keep on keeping on. God is faithful. No, he had just the opposite. Job, just curse God and die. Get this over with already. Ain't no sense in you suffering like this. And what Job say to her? You speak like a foolish woman. I didn't want to say that. <laughs> you, you wanted to. We know better than that. You speak like a foolish woman. Shall we receive good from the hand of God and not receive evil? And so Job passes the test. And you know what's a beautiful thing about the book of Job? You don't even see... After Job passes that test, Satan gets out of the way. After chapter 3, you don't hear of Satan no more. Because Job has passed the test. At that moment, if God wanted to, He could have healed Job and He could have brought him back to His former glory and He could have said, Job, you passed the test. But the trial and the test of faith was not done. God was still going to use this trial and this test to refine Job's faith. Because see, Job trusted God, but not to the degree that God wanted Job to trust Him. And so God allows this thing to continue on. And Job does very well for a little while, but then he starts getting to a point to where he says, and he has to do it because his friends are coming in saying, Job, you had to have done something wrong. Job, what did, yeah, what did you do? And, and, and Job, you, you think you've done everything right, but you hadn't. And Job, at, at the expense of God's righteousness, he promotes his own righteousness and he says, I have fathered the, the orphan. He said, I sit at the gate and people came in and seek wisdom from me. I have fed the hungry. I have, and he goes on and on and on. And then he starts saying, I am in the right here and he's in the wrong. Now he's not cursing God. Matter of fact, all through it he's proclaiming his faith. He's saying, I know that when I die I'm going to see him again. I know that my Redeemer lives. And all throughout here Job proclaims his faith, but his faith has to grow. Because through this thing Job says, Oh, if I could find him, I'd put him on trial. I'd put him on trial. And he would answer me. I'd question him. And he'd answer me, is what Job starts saying all through there. And the point being is that God has to use the test of Job's faith to bring to the surface something that Job didn't even realize was there. Pride. And Job didn't even know it was there until he was put in a place that this sin could come to the surface. And unfortunately, in our faith, we have to be put in places sometimes that... 
the sins in our life can be brought to the surface and our faith can be, we can, be, we can see for our own eyes that our faith is not what we really think it is. And the only thing we can do, you remember when Job finally got to the end of the trial after God revealed Himself in a whirlwind? Do you remember what Job said? Yeah? Job said, I heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. He said, and I abhor myself and I make myself sick and I repent in dust and ashes. Now think about what Job said right there. He said, the difference in the way I trusted God in blessing and the difference in the way I trust God after suffering is like the difference between hearing about somebody and seeing somebody face to face. He said, in blessing, I knew you and I trusted you, but I had only, I'd only heard of you. Go read it for yourself. Job chapter 41, I think it is, 42, right around in there. He said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now, through suffering, my eyes see you. And now, I look back at this trial of suffering and the way I responded, and I abhor myself. That's the word he uses. What does it mean to abhor something? I hate it. I hate what I see and who I, who I was during that. But now... My eyes see you. So faith is tested. And that's important to understand because so many people preach today that you don't that if you're a Christian, God ain't gonna let you go through suffering. Matter of fact, if you're going through suffering, it's because you don't have enough faith. That's what a lot of people teach today. That's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if you have faith, it will be tested. Matter of fact, I'll give you just a couple of verses. We got five minutes. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and this is where we'll stop at this week. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 9. Look what Peter says about it. First Peter should just be two books over if you have any trouble finding it from Hebrews 11. Just Hebrews, James, First Peter. First Peter chapter 1 and starting in verse 6, this is what it says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. In other words, the test is usually hot, right? Fire hurts. It burns. And though it is tested by fire, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now... You believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I'm not going to break that down, but the point here being that Peter understands 
that our faith is tested, and it is tested by fire. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the... What kind of trial? Fiery trial. When it comes upon you to do what? To test you. As though something strange were happening to you. In other words, don't don't be surprised and think something strange is happening. Faith is going to be tested. And then in verse 13, But instead, rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. In other words, don't suffer because... You're sinning. <laughs> you see, we suffer sometimes because of our own doings, right? Sometimes it ain't a faith of our test. What God say about Job? Was Job was Job a sinful man whenever his faith was tested? What God say about Job? Blameless and upright. Now again, we know he's talking about Job's faith and the way Job walked in faith because Job was a sinner too. But the point being, Job's test didn't come because he, because he stole something or, and got caught or because he murdered somebody and got caught. or because he, His trial's not coming because of some sin he committed. His trial is coming because of his trust in God. And now Satan has said, okay, let me do this. And that's the same thing happening right here. In verse 16, yet... If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? So there, just to give you a quick interpretation of that. In other words, if, if God allows this kind of suffering like Job experienced, if that's the kind of suffering that people of faith have to experience, if that's the way that judgment of God begins in the house of God, by testing faith and by allowing suffering to take place to refine you and to show you who He is and make sure your trust is in Him, then what do you think is going to happen to those who... If that's the way that He allows for people of faith to endure suffering, what do you think is going to be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel. <laughs> you better believe it. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. But anyway, the point being here is we go back to Hebrews and we understand that the Bible does teach us here that faith will be tested. You know, um, I often went to Guatemala. I think I went on every trip except for one, if I remember right. And um, every time we went, there was always sickness. I'm talking about so sick. I mean, the people, every, there was always somebody that was just deathly ill before we left. Every trip. A lot of times it went across most everybody was sick. Except for me. I was the only one. Who? 
Yeah, the one, the one that usually ends up in the hospital with stomach viruses all the time. The only person that never got sick was me. Now, you might think to yourself, well, man, that must mean that um, he must have been right with God. That's not what I thought. You know what I thought? Why didn't, God, why didn't Satan ask for me? That's right. Now, I'm not saying that that's what was happening by no means, but I'm... And it did. It did. I mean, everybody being in another country, no hospital, nothing. There's nothing we can do. People are deathly ill. They need fluids. They need, you know, and there's nothing you can do. Um, and, and so, yeah, sitting there watching that is, is heartbreaking. It's, it's rough. Yeah, but um, the, the point being is that faith is going to be tested. And sometimes if you're not being tested, then... Maybe we have reason to look up and go, wonder why Satan ain't asking for me. Because you're just promised. I mean, God's pleading. Well, I hope, I hope that's true, but that ain't the way it went with Job. <laughs> yeah. But, it, but anyway, like I said, the, the, um, the application for this tonight, I believe, is that, is that we don't think it's strange when our faith is tested. I think that the reason Peter wrote that is because he wants us to understand that we as Christians, we should understand and know that our faith is going to be tested. And you are going, God is going to allow your name to be crushed and, and for your reputation to be destroyed sometimes. And God is going to allow you to, to uh, lose, and I hate to say this, but can I just preach the truth tonight? But God may allow us to lose a child. God may allow our health to fail. God may allow our businesses to go completely under. And I know if somebody's in here tonight and they're lost, they're going, you know, I just don't think I want... <laughs> um, well, I'm sorry. I mean, faith is going to be tested. And you're going to find out whether it's genuine and whether you are seeking this homeland and your sights are set on the city that God has prepared and you are laying up treasures in heaven and you're not worried about these treasures that are down here, your faith is going to be tested. That's exactly right. Though for, though for a little while. Right. That's right. He didn't have that. No, that's right. He was one of the first, wasn't he? <laughs> he did, yeah, that's exactly right. They actually believe Job is the oldest book in the Bible. They actually believe that, that Job was written maybe even before the books of Moses were written. So um, that, now that's just speculation, but there are many, that, that, many theologians that believe the evidence is there to support that. But, um, but you're exactly right. That's right. That's right. Yep. That's right. See, part of it, you're exactly right. Part of it is God's wrath on the world. But for the Christian, God's wrath has been removed. But the refining of faith has not. It has just begun. 
It has just begun. No, ain't nobody. No, that's right. But I think it's there for us to have knowledge so that if it comes, that we are prepared. And I think that's why Peter said, don't think it's strange concerning this fiery trial, which is to try you. But don't think it's strange as though something strange has happened to you. But instead, rejoice in so much as you get to partake in the sufferings of Christ. And so the same attack that Satan was throwing toward Jesus is the same attack that he's throwing toward Christ's body and the people of faith. And so... Amen. So Shawnee's just tore down and something's coming. Is that what you're saying? I think that's what I hear you preaching. <laughs> yeah. The food and stuff, you know. If these businesses shut down... Right. Hey, here's what I'd like for y'all to do for next week is um, I'd like for you to look at, at um, the, the passing on of faith from Abraham to Isaac so go back and find where Isaac blessed, oh, I mean where Abraham blessed Isaac. So go back and see if you can find where Abraham was dying and he blessed Isaac with the promise of God. He passed on the faith to the next generation. And then I want you to go back and look at where Isaac was dying. So just find where Isaac was dying and then where Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Now, that was a little different, but, but go back and look at it. And then look at where Jacob, or Israel, as God changed his name, was dying. And he blessed the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and uh, Manasseh. And so, if you can go back and just find where the patriarchs were dying and they blessed their children, familiarize yourself a little bit with the blessing and how they passed the promise, the same promise God gave to Abraham about a promised land, right? And then it was um, about a, um, a seed that would turn into many nations and then about the seed blessing the entire world. So go back and see how that promise is passed on from one generation to the next. Because I think what Hebrews is going to teach us next is faith is not just something that's for you, but it's something that you are meant to pass on, to pass on to the next generation. And so that's what we're going to study next week. All right. Anybody got any questions or comments for tonight? All right. Well, thank you all so much for your time, your attention. Um, let me close in a word of prayer. Let me pray. Father, I just ask you that tonight, um, uh, Lord, we've heard you speak. Lord, I pray tonight that you have, have prepared us, um, Lord, to see that faith is tested. Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, we have seen that faith does not focus on the present, but faith looks forward. Uh, Lord, I pray that we have seen that you have already prepared a land and a city for us, and it's heavenly. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, 
to be people that don't look back, but we're exiles and we're strangers in this land. and We don't belong here. Father, I pray, God, that You would help us to walk in that kind of faith tonight, God. And Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, that we can just um, be pleasing to You. Lord, that as we walk in it, that we know that You are not ashamed to be our God. And Lord, I just pray tonight that You would prepare us for next week, that You would teach us how we pass it on. Lord, teach us that um, this is not something that's just kept to ourselves, but uh, Father, our seed is the next generation of this promise. And Father, I just pray that You would help us to see that and that You would help us to learn it and to apply it to our lives. God, we love You. Keep us safe um, uh, for the rest of this week. Get us back together Sunday that we can gather together and um, hear from You once again. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.